Jimmy, you almost cut your finger off again. Tell what us the, the story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I believe if you ask, Mike was right there. Mike, Mike, check my fireman buddy who's been helping me out. He lives in the neighborhood, and we became fast friends last year. And he's been around, and he's incredible. Uh, so Mike and Aaron were right there, and Aaron's like Johnny on the spot with first aid because he was in the military, so he was trained in all these various disciplines of first aid and you know organization and stuff and he's amazing and they were both standing near me talking to each other when they heard the saw go off and they and mike just goes oh boy was that bypassed or was that not bypassed because he saw me like holding my hand like this and uh i go no it wasn't because we've been cutting this particular wood a local friend of mine has been giving me hundreds of board feet of this wood it's it's just all pine but it's all painted and it's got screws and nails in it so whenever we cut it I usually bypass, but and I was and it's all painted black, and you have to explain to somebody who doesn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could turn the brake off, so the machine acts just like a typical table saw with no ability to stop if it senses skin. So, and, and the reason we bypass is because there's nails and screws and staples in all this wood. And I was cutting a piece of that wood, but it, I was a piece I picked up and I inspected it quickly and I noticed there were no nails or staples in it. So I didn't bypass and I just went right. But Mike has been using the saw too. And every time I say, if you use the black stuff, bypass it because we don't have an extra break. We do now, but we did. And anyway, the, I was cutting and it's funny, a- Andrew Klein asked me and he's very, he's very intuitive. He's very smart, of course. He said, how did it happen? It's just a real simple question, which is really so stupid. It's like, how did it happen? And I know and- Andrew would be like, he could. I said, I was cutting a short piece of wood and the blade was really high. So the kickback was really powerful. What really happened was the blade, the saw, the piece of wood went through the blade. It was only like 13 inch piece of wood. As it went through the blade, it hit the back of the blade and rose up because the wood kind of pinched the back of the blade. So it rose up because I had the blade at three inches because I had just cut something really big. And I was only cutting something three quarters of an inch. So it hit the back of the blade and rose up and then snapped back down. And when it snapped back down, it caused a kickback and it pushed the piece of wood back out the front of the saw. And it the, the piece of wood on the left side of the blade was only about an inch wide and it ran across my fingernail. So I'm pretty convinced what happened was the wood kicking back ripped my fingernail open. Ow. But because I of the, I just want to say, I mean, I didn't feel it, but <laughs> ow. But because yeah, of the sorry. trauma, I don't know if it's ever happened to you guys. Now this is the second time for me, I believe, because of the trauma of the the wood getting all like you know rackling up, whacking and vibrating the blade, the thing went off. There was one other time, and I, I oh. caught it on video where I was cutting something and it kicked back. I was in nowhere near the blade with any skin or hands, and the blade kicked. It the the break went off, so. I believe it was the trauma of the blade vibrating that caused the break to go off and not necessarily sensing skin. That's one theory. <laughs> Mike and, and, and Aaron kind of uh, believe that my hand was pushed into the blade. Hmm. I can't, it happened so quick, I can't honestly say exactly what did happen. The guard was down, so you guys will be happy to know I have the guard all the way down. So my hand hit the blade like under the edge of the guard if it did hit the blade. My other theory is my fingernail hit the blade first and the sensing technology didn't work until the cut went through my fingernail, if that makes sense. Mm. So, because the, mm. I believe, because the piece is all there, I believe it was just ripped from the, the piece of wood pushing through. I don't think I, I hit the blade. That's just my gut feeling. So, there you go. Just don't Crazy. cut little tiny pieces of wood without push sticks. 
if I was using push sticks, like on the outside, you know, usually use a push stick on uh, between the fence and the blade and not always on the other side. You know, like Matias is, is consistent. He constantly uses those crab claw push sticks on both sides of the piece of wood. And that's what I often do, but I was just, it was a stupid momentary, like, oh, let me cut this quick. And that's what happened. So, you know, I, I constantly, it's been 10 years that I'm always very aware of table saw safety since I got injured the first bad time. And this time I just, it was just one of those, oh, this will take one second and then kablooey. And I'm okay. Mm. I mean, all I just, I just have like a, I'm going to have a screwy fingernail probably. It'll grow out and be fine. The funny thing was, is when you get injured on the table saw, you know what you get? You get like 15 pictures of all the friends that, that follow you Ugh. that also cut themselves on the table saw. Oh, yeah. Check this out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gross. So I got, I got about five or six emails or, or pictures on Instagram of very similar injuries through the fingernail. And, and everybody said, most of the people were like, I'm fine now. It grew out. You can't even tell. So... That's what I suspect will happen. So no hospital. Mike was there. Mike's EMT trained, and so is Aaron. So the two of those guys. I didn't even look. I just stuck my finger between them. I'm like, fix that. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> fix <Bleep> that. that. <laughs> no, they were both great. And uh, I was more, it's, it's, it's definitely not to be taken lightly. And I was joking about it on Instagram because it was kind of my self-defense mechanism, but I was more, the same time I cut myself the first time when I had to go to the hospital for three days, I was just more inconvenienced that I had so many things to do that now it's like, oh, I was able to get back to work on, on that day. So I was going to say, how long, how much time passed between that incident and then you cutting the next piece of wood on the table saw? Probably about seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said, hey, let's take a break and yeah. start tomorrow <laughs> no it was it was really probably about about 20 oh much better oh, well, much better. yeah yeah <laughs> understand it was it was funny i just kept moving and rob rojas is there he's been helping me do restoration he's an instagrammer rob rojas would work and uh rob's like dude take take five minutes he's also an emt but he he wasn't right there at the moment when i got injured he he's like Take five minutes, bro. Because I'm helping him carry a sheet of plywood, and I still have the like the first gauze on my fingertip, not even bandaged up yet. Mm. So, well, I'm glad you're okay. Mm. Me too. And, and and just another dumb story. Like, I got a couple of messages of like, you know what? Knowing you've been injured once and now twice, it, that's it. Honestly, the amount of times I've actually cut myself on the table saw is probably about eight. <laughs> eight times where I got nipped here and there and kickbacks Dang. and stuff, you know, since I'm like, you know, 12 years old. Right. So that's uh, about seven or eight times. But the only really bad one was that one when I cut my pinky. And then this one was probably, you know, second position. The other times have been just nicks. And, you know, you, you, you get a close call where you realize like all your fingernail, like the edge of your fingernail has been whisked off or the kickback has, you know, hit you in the groin or kickback has caught you in the forearm. So uh, a couple of people wrote to me and said, this cinches the deal. I'm getting a saw stop. And Derek had already purchased one. Derek Forrester already bought one, Derek from Alden. <coughs> and he was kind of groveling about the expense because he paid full price for it. And he said, he sent me a message. He goes, I just want to thank you for, for helping me <laughs> realize I made the right decision. Mm. Oh, yeah. Man, I mean, I paid for mine, too, because of your original story. 
you know, years ago. Yeah, yeah. ten years ago. Absolutely worth every single penny that I've paid for that. Like I, yeah. I don't regret that in any way. The only thing I, d- I regret about it is not saving more money and getting the bigger saw. But mm-hmm. as far as like the investment in the saw, totally worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. I like mean, that. like I, I, I can't imagine anybody not buying one now, or at least you know who knows. Years will go by. There'll be new flesh sensing technology eventually. There'll be other companies with it, but it seems like there's no other option. There really shouldn't be any other option because table saw injuries are just so horrific if they go really bad. So, yeah. Bob, I will say I've had I bought the one point seven five horsepower saw that I had at the other shop and then got the three horsepower when I moved into this newer shop. I, for what I do, I didn't even notice a difference. Like hmm. really didn't. I don't, I'm not cutting big three inch thick pieces of walnut or whatever. And for what yeah. I, I really did not notice much of a difference. There've only been one or two two or three times where I've been cutting something where I could feel it start to bog down. So it doesn't happen often Mm -hmm. for sure. But there have been a couple of cases where I'm like, Oh man, if I had, you know, if I had the bigger saw, I could have done this a little bit faster. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's not worth the cost, but I could have done it a little bit faster. But Mm. anyway, anyway, be careful, be be present, be conscious and don't be stupid. Well, like I am. Me. I am legitimately glad that you're okay. I, as soon Thank as I saw that, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like not again. <laughs> Jimmy, please be careful. I know, but well, I'm glad it's... it wasn't. You know, it, it, the first glance on yeah. Instagram with no sound, I was like, yeah. ah, but yeah, I'm glad you're okay. The, you know, it's my buddy years ago when I got injured ten years ago. He says the amount of time you spend in the workshop, he says it's just. Uh, the law of averages because it's a miracle you have any fingers mm. left at all <laughs> i i was working in what right now it's 9 30 a.m i was working until 3 30 a.m last night i went to sleep at 4 a.m i mean you know just because i have such a big workload at the moment and i just want to get stuff done but i was working alone late last night doing on lathe i was working on the lathe from about midnight till about 1 a.m 2 a.m and then i worked on the the woody trailers just because I wanted to get to a spot. So when today starts, I could feel like I'm a little bit ahead of the curve. Mm. But whenever I'm working alone and late like that, I am super careful. I like literally stop and ask myself, okay, how can this hurt me? All right. Okay, cool. Let me just make sure that I'm out of the way of that. But by during the day when there's people around me, I must I must admit foolishly, I'm a little bit more careless. I'm like, all right, you know, there's people here to call to take me to the hospital. <laughs> but when I'm totally mm. alone, I'm like, okay, I got to be super careful because I'm by myself. But, yeah. you know, the, it's it's stupid and it's not even like a conscious thought, but there's a certain comfort level working when there's other people in the shop versus when you're completely alone and it's 1 a.m. and you're in the backyard and nobody knows you're there. And, you know, so it just, yeah. it's just something to keep in mind if you do, if you do those types of, if you do that type of work pattern. I used to come up to this house before I lived here full time. And I and many people think I got this house because of my YouTube fame and fortune. I had this house for many years before YouTube. I used to come up here. Fame and fortune. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, oh, yeah, well, you got a house though because of YouTube. No, I had this house since uh, the early 2000s. They give them out when you hit 100,000, right? right? <laughs> yeah, houses. Exactly. Isn't that the it comes deal? with a big badge on it. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, I used to no come up here by myself. Anyway. And and there was no cell service. There was no internet service up here for a long time. And I would tell you know a couple of friends, I'd be like, "Hey, I'm going to the house. If you don't, if I don't check in Monday morning, or if you don't see my car in the city Monday morning, you know, send the search team for me. It means my hands like stuck in the radiator in the basement or something." Mm. 
you know, so working alone is is something to be can something to be conscious of. Make sure you don't do anything too risky. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Enough safety talk. <laughs> well, David, how was your weekend? Uh, somewhat okay. I I got to <laughs> I got to go racing again, and um, well, I went to the races but I didn't really get to race. I got to qualify. I ran my heat race. And then for the feature, otherwise known as the A-Main, um, got the cart out there and I'm going around the track and getting ready to line up. And then I realized when I hit the throttle, the cart doesn't go. So the clutch wasn't engaging. And um, they were ready to start the race. And they don't, they, don't, they don't wait. So I had to pull off and could not fix or change or figure out what the problem was. So I did not get the race in the future. And it was, it was really disappointing. And I was probably more disappointed than what I should have been. I got to hang out with friends all day. I did get to race a little bit, but I was so bummed because the, the previous week I had a hundred dollars worth of damage. So I spent, you know, the week fixing those things and prepping and, and changing gears and getting the right tires on for this particular track. And then big letdown but i'll be back at it in two weeks and it'll be a good time i do want to say i think i mentioned here on the show that there's a here in toledo there's a tape measure manufacturer and i had a conversation with them and it was a it was a good one um so i had this idea for a tape measure and the um the i the ultimate tape measure, I don't think I can do yet because there's no um, dyes or molds made for it yet. And they were like, just so you know, if you want to start from scratch, you're looking ten to $20,000 just to make the, the mold or dye or whatever it takes. But we have tons of other ones. So if you can find an existing design, we can work around that. And that's going to save you lots of money. So we did, and we're going to go through their, their catalog. The, ta- the company is called The Perfect Measuring Tape, and they do sell on their website and they sell on Amazon, but mostly what they do is they manufacture tape measures for other companies. So um, I would this wouldn't be in partnership with them. This would be paying them to make my, my tape measure. So I think version one is going to be something that, uh, a design that already exists, but maybe we redo the, what's on the actual tape measure. And oh, so you can change the print. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. So thinking about doing that, and um, be funny if you if you change it so it's at like one inch ish. More about yay long, three inches and four little lines. If you <laughs> four inch, four inches plus three little tiny lines and one big one, you know, right. stuff like that. So I, I have this. So I have an idea what I want the markings to be, and um, you know, I asked Twitter and and some other people like, what would you want? And everybody wants a tape measure that does it all, and I absolutely do not want a tape measure that does it all. I don't need the sixteen on center studs on there. I don't need thirty seconds marks tick marks on there. And I want to be able to see the marks underneath an inch. And so I have I have an idea. And I and some people were mentioning that they like how some tape measures have centimeters and imperial or inches. And I don't like that. I want to separate the two. I want to do two different runs. And so uh, I'm going to make a tape measure that I want 
and it's not going to be it's not going to be what everybody else wants and i want to see i because i think there's other people like me that would appreciate what what i want and so version one is going to be this cheaper version and then version and then hopefully we can make a little bit of money with that and then put that towards version two where i do the ultimate one and i hmm. and um i have um I, I'm not ready to. I can't make all of our listeners sign a, a non-disclosure agreement, but I have some ideas <laughs> that I've never seen in a tape measure before, and it, I I have no idea if it's even a thing that can be done because of cost. But we'll see. We'll see. One step at a time. Fast cap. Like, fast cap gets pretty innovative with the with the tape measures. So and just and they do. Up first. I do like the righty lefty. But that snapback on that tape measure will take off your finger, and it's a terrible user experience. Like, <laughs> and I'm sorry, they and I do use a lot of fast cap tape measures. They they make great tape measures, and they got the thing where you can take a dry erase marker and mark on the side. They got the ones that you can write on. Like, they make great tape measures, but that snapback will take off your finger. Hmm. And I don't know if I need to take it yeah. apart and maybe do like undo one of the coils, but. Mm. Mm. So mm. yeah, Jimmy, well, you've inspired me to get into some some product design, and then I oh, also and I was talking with the company. I'm like, do you? I want to. I've noticed that um, my Empire combination square and um, what's the other good com- combination square? Scarlet, 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 Yeah, Starrett, Starrett, Starrett. Yeah, yep. I have one of those, and I noticed that the the rule is interchangeable between those two because I accidentally put the wrong one in. And, oh yeah, it's a standard size, I think. And neither one of them have the markings that I want. Uh, mm. It's it's either, like almost always I like they have the the inches start on the right side and go backwards, and I'm like, no, I want it the other way. Or you flip it around, and it has like thirty second marks. I I don't need thirty second marks. I can't. Mm. It's too much on my eyes. And so I talking to them about making my own custom one that you could put in whatever combination thing that you want. So you could just replace the blade with mine. And maybe it's branded. And then a couple other hmm. things. So, Jimmy, you've been an inspiration and in, in working. Very cool. Getting some products done. It's going to be a while. And it's it's good. Like I, I said, I said a couple of episodes ago where, <clears throat> I mean, I, I've been offered advertising here and there. Some of it I pass on. Some of it, uh, you know, is offers low, is whatever. But, you know, the good thing is, is that I'm beginning to be able to rely solely on my own product line, which is great. You know, it's just, it's it's very liberating to be able to pick and choose advertisers. And, uh, you know, the fans hate advertisers. Let's, let's face it. They can't stand when we do stuff with people for money. But, you know, that's how we make our living. So if I can keep it more in-house, ongoing. That being said, I'm still going to, entertain offers of advertising because you know if it's the brand is right and the fit is right and the product is good for me i'll go for it like i said i don't have to take uh, game warlords anymore <laughs> although i might viking war of tanks <laughs> although <clears throat> although sometimes the offers are like you start sweating you're like uh, uh, uh okay okay i can i can sacrifice one video for this <laughs> it'll only take me about three months to recover my fan base okay 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 we'll do this okay yeah okay, how much how many yeah. zeros <laughs> three months of, of aggravation from people but you can pay your bills yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a tough trade-off for sure 
And so, well, that's cool, man. I'm glad that you're you've got some uh, yeah some movement on that. And it uh, might so even be three versions. I might have to do one where I just do in a completely existing design, but rebrand it, and then work our way up because it's going to be pretty costly, and it's not like I have bank loads of money just sitting around to invest into new products but it's something i, w- I want to dive into s- sell your youtube house and then use that <laughs> right <laughs> well, warlords of uh plane games yeah cool. <laughs> yeah warlords of plane games <laughs> that's funny uh let's see so for me this past week we have been uh, we finished up our Fusion 360 course, our online course that we're working on, and we've got it out to our Maker Alliance people and people that support us, Patreon and YouTube people. And so they got a discount on it and are going through it and giving us feedback. So that's been really good. So we've gotten some great feedback from users, you know. And so we've been working on it, adding some stuff, changing some stuff, and trying to get it as good as we can can get it uh before we release it which will probably be next week i think that's the plan so it will be out very soon and when we do put it out i'll definitely talk about it on here but um so we've been working on that pretty hard and the video for this week is the next r2d2 video so finally the people that have been on me about r2d2 will finally get another piece of it (laughs) the last video for r2d2 came out in uh november I realized, which is I mean, it's pretty long ago, so I get that people are a little impatient for it. But every single video we put out, there's at least five or ten comments that are like, "What happened to R two D two? When's the next R two D two?" So um, that's coming out this week finally, and I've been already working on the next steps for the the next video for R two D two. Been cutting the feet out of aluminum, eighth inch aluminum on the Wazer. And so I've been working on that a lot and I tried to work on it some over the weekend because running that machine, it, this is the water jet for anybody that doesn't know, uh, it's pretty loud. And so, and it's in the shop with everything else. So if I'm running that, we can't be filming anything where I have to talk to the camera. Mm-hmm. So over the weekend, I was trying to run a you know a bunch of these long cuts for this aluminum so that I would have the pieces and I could start putting them together this week. Well, the nozzle got clogged and I had to take the thing apart and clean out the nozzle and then I just problem after problem, not about necessarily about the machine, but just issues. And so I now have a, a kind of a, a backlog of pieces that I have to cut. And so it's going to slow down that process a little bit, but kind of a cool little thing. Um, the cut bed on that machine is 12 by 18. And so when I first started working on these feet for R2, I went on McMaster and found 12 by 36 inch sheets of 6061 aluminum. And, you know, I just cut them right down the middle and then I have two panels that I could drop on this machine. So I ordered a few of those and they were, I don't remember exactly how expensive they were, but they weren't that much, but you know, it's still a lot of aluminum. So I got those, and then this next section that I needed to start cutting, we needed a lot more uh, of the aluminum. And so I went on there and started to price it, and then Josh was like, hey, we should check with the local metal shop and see, there's like a place we get steel here, and we see if they have the same aluminum. So he calls there, and we tell him, we want a piece that's about four feet square, and we're going to throw it on the CNC and just cut it all at one time and just be done with it, right? So we call him, tell him what we're looking for, 
And they were like, well, we this person came in and bought a big sheet of aluminum and then ended up not needing it. So we have this giant sheet and we can break off a four by four piece for you. It's like 40 bucks because they're trying to get rid of it. I'm like, oh, what? man, it's a good deal. Should have bought the whole thing. So I did. (laughs) (laughs) Think like me. So they told us that price and then we called them back and we were like, well, actually, maybe we need a little bit more. And then, you know, and once we finally found out what the price was after like three or four phone calls of changing our order, I was like, you know what? I just give me the whole thing. And so we got a four by 10 piece of aluminum broken down into a big half sheet. And then the other half sheet was broken down into individual sheets. And it was like a total of $320 or something like that. So now we have a huge amount of aluminum. We have more than enough for this particular project, but then also a big sheet that we could throw on the CNC and cut out. And this is, you know, eighth inch, like it's, it's good material. We just happened to call it the right time. And the, the guys at the store have always been super cool. Anytime we go in there and we've talked about this before, but anytime we go into that shop, there's a little bit of like, I don't really know what I need, but I kind of need this thing. And they're always super helpful and they don't make me feel stupid and <laughs> they're great. So nice. Um, but it was funny cause I could hear Josh on the phone calling them. He's like telling them what we need. And they're like, I can hear them asking, like, what are you doing with that big of a piece? And he's like, ah, we're making feet for R2-D2. <laughs> <laughs> and then he told them the company name to put it on the invoice and everything. And then when we called back later on, they were like, oh, you guys do some really fun stuff. Oh, that's cool. Funny, just yeah. But anyway, so that's kind of what we've been up to is is getting material, um, cutting material and stuff for R2-D2. And, and this week we're getting back into... Last week was the first week the guys have been back in the office in several months now. Yeah, so, Anthony's behind you. It's, it's kind of heartwarming yeah. to see him back in the shop and things are starting yeah. to get back to normal, hopefully. It is kind of cool to have everybody back. Um, we like recorded No Instructions last week for the first time. That's Josh and I's podcast. First time in quite a while because it was the first time we were together and uh so yeah this week i think we're getting back into the swing of actually shooting and stuff again last week was a lot of talking and planning and goofing off and so i think we're ready to get back to work this week but so it's good yeah um we had a topic last week Mm. that we never got to Mm. yeah i could uh, i could introduce it yeah, I have to say this is a much more of a topic for the two of you than me. Yeah. I will do my best to be useful, but yeah. For it. Well, I wanted to talk about uh, typography. I mean, no, we've we've touched on it from time to time, but uh, uh, with the current political climate, we're seeing more and more handwritten signs, and uh, more and more personal handwritten things. And I, I, I've talked about this in a couple spots. I can't remember exactly where I said it, but from time to time, I, I'm a huge advocate. And Dave, uh, Dave, I think you agree. Don't handwrite anything. It has to come from, uh, if you, if you're not trained in topography, or if you're not, if, if you don't have at least a little bit of training and a little bit of understanding of letter forms, don't think you can just make block letters. Don't think if you've never done it, stick with letter forms that exist at school we would blow stuff up on the photocopier and like hand trace it i just want to clarify i started saying handwritten signs i think are a huge no-no but when it's a personal statement i think it has is very impactful so the point yes it sounded like i was saying negative things about handwritten signs but the handwritten signs that we're seeing have a lot a lot a lot of personality in them and some of them 
you know, they're using the wrong marker size in some cases. I know I'm nitpicking something that's obviously a huge political debate. I'm not really trying to bring that part into the conversation. But what I'm just saying is, is when people handwrite signs, you could tell, like, if they really want to make a statement, they use, like, really thick markers. Some people don't know to use thick marker. Some people don't know you can go to your computer and print this stuff out. I'm trying to relate <laughs> the signs you see everywhere with this conversation. I, I first noticed it um, when 9-11 happened, when suddenly, sadly, so many missing posters showed up all around the city. And it was the really the first time, this is nearly 20 years ago, it was the first time people started using computers that aren't graphic designers. So they would make a computer picture and, you know, it would say this person's missing, last seen on this date. And all around the city, it was very heartbreaking. I, I took lots and lots of photographs and somewhere on an old computer. I have hundreds of photographs of, of the events of those time, those several months. And I, I just thought it was pretty interesting how people with Microsoft Word or whatever were making signs for the first time and not necessarily handwritten signs. But now obviously people just, it's just the pure rage and the pure emotion. There's just people just going to their garage and opening up a piece of cardboard and writing on it. So I'll let you talk for a minute, David, if you have anything to add to that, but I have some more points I'll get to. So I have no experience with, with handwritten signs and I've, um, Growing up as a kid going to races, many of the race cars back then had um, hand-painted numbers yeah. and, and lettering on there. And that is a crazy skill to be able to do that. And that is, I yeah. admire anybody who can do that. Now it's all, uh, you print up on on, on vinyl and, and, and wrap everything. But I do want to say, when you're on the computer and you're you have a lot of words that you need to be on there, Stick with one font, stick and and don't if if you don't know what you're doing, it's really hard to mix fonts, and try to. There's there's always a time to break break the rules. There's always and Jimmy breaks the rules in a really awesome way with some of his posters. But you don't you don't want to mix sizes too much unless there's one thing that you want to emphasize. You don't want too much words because. Think of all the billboards that you drive past every day on the road. Yeah. And if there's a lot of words on there, you don't read any of it. The most impactful ones is usually a, a graphic and then one, two or three words on there. So you want to keep it simple. You don't want to mix bold and italics and all these different fonts. And also, most importantly, for readability, it, there needs to be negative space. There needs to be room for it to breathe. And so... If you're not a graphic designer, if you're not a typographist, that's not a word. Um, <laughs> keep it as simple as you can. Typologist. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the things, like when I, um, even after school, all my paragraphs of text, I would do the thing where it's left and right justified because it looks it looked pretty to me. And then when I got to the ad agency, they're like, stop doing that. Everything has to be left justified because when you stretch everything, so it's right and left, it makes um, gaps. It makes gaps. And that slows down readability. New York times does that. It drives me crazy. The New York yeah. times. Does and that. I think there's, there's some stuff about ty- typography like that, that if someone doesn't have any kind of schooling around it and they, they open up Photoshop or illustrator or something like that. And they pull up the little type window. There's a bunch of little drop downs there that describe how the type is rendered. And if you don't have the experience, you don't know what those things are. Kerning. Anybody who's not been to design school or some 
design class is going to see that word and not have any clue what it's talking about. Kerning is but the space little, between the letters. Right. And But there's also the line spacing in between the lines has a lot to do with readability. Letting. Letting. There, there you go. <laughs> so these are all the, the terms that you... You would see them and you would know their effect, but you wouldn't necessarily know how to translate what they are to those little drop downs that are in those applications. But so anyway, if you don't have experience with that and you're trying to make some type, look at what all those things, you know, b- write out a, a paragraph and then go drag those things around in that type menu to see what they do. And then you'll start to understand how you can have an effect on the type that you're trying to, to type, you know, you're trying to put out there using those controls to make it more readable or more condensed or whatever the case is. One of my, it's the biggest pet peeve is if you're in some sort of layout program, could be curl draw or illustrator or Photoshop or anything, but they have their, their text and then they stretch it, not using the, the text controls, but the, the, the bounding box to stretch. And I, yeah, I see stretch text and I just, I, I just want to go back to bed. I'm guilty of stretching text sometimes. <laughs> Depends on like the I said, font. There's always there's always a time to break the rule, yeah. and especially yeah. if it's if it's for a visual purpose. But stretching text so it fills the space is not the proper way to do it because you've taken what that artist has made and then you pretty much ruined their all the thought process they, that they put into that. Yeah. that font. The topologist who designed that font. The typologist. Yeah. The fontologist. And, well, and and to that end. Uh, somebody may not look at a at a font and think that that was created by an artist, right? You may not, you may separate those and think of the font as a utility piece that maybe some programmer mm. at Microsoft did in like 1982 or whatever, and it just happens to be on your computer. <clears throat> there are people who their entire job is designing characters, individual characters to build up fonts. Typologists. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But there's there's a huge amount of design work that goes into a friend of mine, Matt Yao, who's a great graphic designer, has created several fonts, and we had some discussion about how he did that uh, years ago. And it was even I went to art school, and I've seen people do this, but talking to him about the troubles that he had with creating these fonts uh, was pretty fascinating. The the, restri- uh, the requirement that goes into having a font where all the letters work together, where you can put them in any particular order and they yeah. still do the thing. They have to fit in for certain spacing. The relative height requirement of the top part of a letter and the bottom part of a letter has a lot to do with how they look and how readable they are and things like that. So all of those fonts that you, when you open that font menu on your computer, all of those was designed by somebody. Mm-hmm. Character by character, uppercase, lowercase, every piece of punctuation, all that stuff and so when David's talking about stretching that out, they spent the time to create those things to work in one particular orientation. As soon as you squish the vertical height of something, but you don't squish the horizontal <laughs> length of something, yeah. you're messing up that relationship. You're right? throwing so it right in the is, dirt. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I don't mean that like, you know, respect the artist. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they put those things in a particular relationship for a reason, so that it's readable, so that it works. And when you counteract that, you are, you're kind of breaking down the effort that was put in for those particular reasons. 
And uh, I was just going to say, getting back to the handwritten sign stuff, There, you guys all know that I'm a huge fan of James Victori. We, we used to work together at the School of Visual Arts, and we became closer friends through Instagram, honestly. But James Victori is a graphic designer who almost only exclusively handwrites stuff. But he's earned the right to be able to just handwrite font. I mean, his handwriting is basically his graphic design. Mm. And, uh, you know, and when I first met him, I was like, I was like, oh, okay, this guy's being lazy. But as I got to know him and as I got to understand his artwork, it, it's, it's a passion that is like, it's almost like he's so passionate about what he's doing. He can't even like take the time to go to the computer. He's just got to like get it right out. And so a lot of his work kind of reads that. It, it's, it is a little bit like the passion of the handwritten protest signs that we've been seeing. So you can, there is always ways of breaking the rules. And some of those handwritten signs become iconic, like make love, not war, you know, from the sixties, it's handwritten on cardboard. And then that becomes the graphic. So it all depends, you know, it's, it all depends on the mood, the moment, uh, you know, the political climate, when you're talking about handwritten stuff and protest signs. But I, a lot of times I see people handwriting only because for what I can only tell is just being lazy. And that drives me crazy. Students would handwrite their name on something, like try and block letter it out because they didn't want to take the time to open the computer, print it out, do some sort of acetone transfer or do something to get their name onto or even a screen print or even a transfer of, you know, maybe on printed sticky paper or something. Now you have vinyl cutters, which is a great, great, great advantage for all of us. Anybody can get a vinyl cutter for a hundred bucks on Amazon, a Cricut or vinyl cutter, and you could do amazing topography solutions with with a Cricut. So I think it's really, really important to educate yourself on font type. And uh, another big problem that I see a lot of makers having is you're giving, for instance, and, and sitting on my desk, Andrew Setters is going to be excited. I have Andrew Setters' logo sitting on, in a sticker on my desk from the envelope I opened from him three years ago. It's still sitting here. <laughs> and I don't clean up that much. But the, the point I'm making is that sometimes you get a logo and you need to recreate it in a CNC or a laser. Or How do you get that logo off of this handwritten or this, this printed object? In many cases, believe it or not, if you Google, for instance, uh, uh, Derek uh, and I have been going back and forth about a logo that he's working on. I don't want to say the name of the company, but he's hired to make a logo for a company and he sent me an image of it. I just Googled the name of that company, Logo Vectors, and like seven versions popped up. Because oh, yeah. he said, you know, so don't underestimate what's available, even if the company isn't like a hugely popular company that you've ever heard of. But if you pick up any product and Google it, and a lot of times that company will make it available on their website more often these days. So if you're doing anything for a company or a sports team or something, it, you, maybe you're making a gift to somebody and you want to, you know, it's, you're only going to make one of them. You're not going to copyright, you're not going to break the copyright laws. You can Google that company and more than likely find that logo in a vector format, which you can then translate to a laser cut or a CNC cut. Bob. Brands, yeah, brandsofthe-world.com uh, is a website. Um, I was, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, I didn't know about no, that. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, um, when I used to work at the newspaper, a lot of times we would deal with these companies who were running ads, and a lot of time, like, like the, your contact was like, I have no idea where our logo is. Brandsofthe-world.com, yeah. I could get it. So, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, great. I, I didn't like, even know about that. I had that pulled up right here. I was just going <laughs> to say the same thing. I felt really accomplished when I was, uh, one of our old companies was called Velocity Works. It was our uh, graphic design, web design company that we had. 
after college. And I felt really accomplished when someone told me that our logo was on Brands of the Rock. <laughs> oh, wow. Somebody, somebody thought of us enough to rip off our logo and stick it on this like site so that anybody could get a hold of it. Oh, wow. um, but also to what you were saying, Jimmy, about a lot of companies will have their own logos available. Usually, if you go to the bottom of a website, there's going to be like a, a tab or a, a link for press or PR or something like that. Usually, if you go in there, there'll be some sort of a media pack. And in that media pack, we'll have vector versions of their different logos. Sometimes they're like, uh, you know, the design constraints for the company, the, the way that you use their logo and all that stuff will often be down there because they want press to have a quick access to have their logo in the correct accurately the correct they don't want some yeah, junior stuff. artist redrawing it yeah right and, and so there's there's spacing requirements that, around around their logos yeah. and what colors can be used with this logo what colors can't be used yeah guys let me ask you let me throw something else out there let's say for instance because i know how i would do it and i'm pretty sure i know how you would do it but let's offer some solutions to the people that are listening if you got a logo and there it's not available but it's on like an envelope and you've been asked to make this, you know, for a smaller company or even for a friend's company that, you know, you're making a birthday gift and you have their business card. How do you take that logo and redraw it? How do you get a vectorized version of that? Well, there's two ways. Well, I have, I use Adobe Illustrator and I know that's not available for everybody. If it's simple enough, you can just trace it. You can, you can redraw it. There's also a trace feature, which, can complicate it a little too much, but that will work. But if you're seeing you something, high, it, it's better to have a high res to do the the draw version. You yeah. can go in Illustrator and do uh, uh, what is it called? What is the function called under Object? It's called uh, dr- uh, Live Trace. Image Trace. Live Trace. Image Trace. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it'll it'll make a vectorized version of, but it'll interpret it. So if you have to have a really crisp photograph of it, if there's any anomalies in the picture or something, it'll think it's part of what you want to redraw. So. You just got to be careful because if you have something that has a hundred thousand points in there, uh, your your vector, your CNC software, or whatever you're using, may just completely take a crap because it might be too complicated for it. And oh yeah, because the vectors up. make a point at every curve. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like the it's like a it's like a visualized version of G code, for instance, and that'll be interpolated into your G code. You'll have seventy thousand lines of type when you really only need ten. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes uh, it might even it might even be my own website. the The logo up in the masthead of a website might be an SVG file, which is a vector file. So you could actually pull that and then turn that into what you want. So, and yeah, a the, lot of times yeah. when you Google a company's logo, it, you'll get a piece of the website, not necessarily intended to be given yeah. away, but you could pull it off. So the difference between a vector and a bitmap image is a bitmap image is pixel by pixel, like what you would work with in Photoshop typically. And then a vector image is drawn with lines and math and can be rescaled to any size and it doesn't lose its quality. A little tip, if you are searching Google for a logo and you want to find it in a particular file format, if you want an SVG format specifically, you can put in your search and then the word file type colon and then the file type. So yes. file type colon SVG, and that will give you results that are just that file type. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, if you search for vector, you're going to end up with files returned that you can see, but they're not actually vector files. So you go to click on them, and they're just a, a JPEG or just a whatever. And so this will limit the, the searches in case you need to get a certain file type. 
and some some software some softwares that come with like for instance I know I use vCarve and vCarve has a couple of couple of features where you could then take a, an image like a JPEG image and turn it into a vectorized mm-hmm. image but again it's it all depends on the source material how good quality it is and and the size of it I'm, I'm also an illustrator user so I just jump right to illustrator when it, when I have to solve any of these problems illustrator and Photoshop sometimes I might have to bring a picture into Photoshop clean it up cut away the background and then bring it into illustrator and then an illustrator I'll live trace it and then I have vectors so yeah you got to bounce around a little bit sometimes so, Jimmy, I have a question for you. In mm-hmm. uh, being from New York City, and the most mm-hmm. iconic thing in New York City is the I Love New York shirts and, yep. and design that's been around for about 30 years or so. Designed by Pushpin Studios and Milton Glaser. Yes. Uh, whenever you see a knockoff that doesn't use the correct font, does that drive your brain <laughs> insane? <laughs> no, well, it's, it's because you see logos like that. That are so iconic, and I think it's Peter Max who did the Love L O V E, which is based on the similar version mm-hmm. of the I Love New York. It's it's the one, two, three, four in a quadrant over you know two over two, and sometimes you see people knocking it off because they're either too lazy to look at the original one, or some people are under this misconception that if you change it a little bit, then it's different. You know, if you change it a little <laughs> bit and it's still confusingly similar, you're still breaking the law, uh, you know, the copyright law, and. If, if, if as as consumers and of consumers of visual imagery, occasionally you see something that's just not right, and you know something's wrong with it. You know, you know, it's just something. It, sometimes it's an emotional thing rather than a conscious thing. You're like something feels weird about this, mm. and you know, mm-hmm. you don't realize you don't realize it's because it's not the right logo or the sanctioned logo or something like that. You guys want to know something funny? I'll tell you a, an honest mistake I made recently, and. Uh, it's stupid. It's because of my my inability to read. So I'm making a bench. I'm making two benches for you guys know Bell Staff. Or maybe you don't know Bell Staff is a is a British clothing company, and I've been doing some work for them behind the scenes. And they're opening up a new store, and they don't really they're not really keen on publicity just yet. So that's why I haven't posted any pictures. But I'm making a laser cut. I'm making a bench for them that looks like you're sitting on a hand carved bench. So all these logos and names of guys in the company are all handwritten, some of them. And I said, the only way I can do this, because the only way I can really do it is the laser. And it's going to be outside, so all the names are burned into the bench. It looks like they're all hand-carved, but they're laser-carved. So I looked at the, the artwork, and they laid it all out. It's, it's some real logos in it. There's handwritten stuff. You know, there's all British memorabilia things written in it. So it's going to be a plank of wood that looks like somebody carved it, but they're all laser cut. And some of them are just handwritten logos that the company gave me. And some, But it's all, they gave me the entire thing laid out exactly. And I read, now I might be getting the numbers wrong, something to the effect of, I read the thing that says six foot seven. So I cut a piece of wood six foot seven. And I am start laser cutting it. And I can pass it through the laser cut. I can only do like 20 inches at a time because it's my machine isn't that big. So I broke the artwork up and I have it nested. So even though like each section like still falls inside of the other section. So they're kind of nested like, you know, finger. I don't know if that makes sense. So some parts of the logo would like go into the other square. And so it's really meticulous trying to lay this out and laser cut each one. I looked at it. I'm like, wow, there's still this, there's still a lot more room. I don't understand why maybe the artwork was wrong. So I stretched out like I had five, I think I had five, 
20 inch things to do something you know something to the effect of about 20 inches so on the fourth one i stretched it out really far i literally stretched it so all the logos in that 120 18 20 inch section are stretched out and nobody will notice it because most of them are handwritten they're not like it's not like the coca-cola logo and then i double checked the email while it was cutting I'm like, <laughs> i still have like all this extra space and like Oh, it was supposed to be 67 inches, not six foot uh, seven. So I mm. still had room for the last quadrant and I shrunk it really skinny. So if I broke the graphic, the entire graphic up into five pieces, three I print, I laser cut perfectly. The last one I stretched out to fill the space and then I overcorrected and the last one I shrunk. Does that make sense? So yeah. if you, if, if anybody sees this bench, don't tell Bellstaff I did this because they won't know. If... Anybody sees this bench in, in the city in about six months from now, because the store is going to open up in the fall, <clears throat> you'll look at the graphic and you'll see, oh, that looks all comfortable. And then you get you get that emotional feeling of like something's wrong at the end. And that's why <laughs> I bring up the question, because all of a sudden everything is kind of, it looks like everything, like as if the letters were like actual objects and you stood it up on its end and they all settled to the bottom. <laughs> That's what, it, that's what the graphic looks like. But no one's going to really notice that. It's not as bad as I'm making it sound, except for everybody that's listening. Sure. No one's going to notice that. <laughs> so there's a lesson, and just make sure you double-read the email before you cut wood and start laser cutting stuff. I could have just started over. It's not a big deal. It was just a piece of, of plank. They wanted like a, a natural edge plank, so it's nothing complicated that I can get. I can't get again. But... That's when I'm. That's what I'm saying. When you look at something, and there's something weird about it. Like your brain is telling you there's something odd about it, and you can't really quite put your finger on it. No, I was just gonna say you can always tell those things, those cheaply made ripoffs of any kind of a logo or text or you know even like a, I don't know. Especially when you look at like knockoff toys. I don't know if this is something you guys have ever noticed, but there's all sorts of you know dollar store toys that are supposed to be GI Joe. But the, the yeah. logo like kind of looks like G.I. Joe, but it's like G.I. Jim or some, you know, there's something really uncomfortable about badly designed stuff. And that usually goes with a ripoff because that's nobody wants to spend the money to get a really nicely designed ripoff logo. <laughs> and a lot of those companies <laughs> of that are ripping off stuff, they, they ride a fine line of like confusingly similar versus, you know, oh, I'm starting a new brand. Oh, no, wait. Oh, you know, people, it mm-hmm. might be the right colors and to, to match a brand so that a grandmother will buy the wrong one, but the kid will look at it and go, this isn't the same thing. And she's like, well, it looks the same. You know, it's confusingly similar. Yeah. So they do ride a fine line, you know, those those knockoff toy companies, so that if they ever did go to court, they could either just go settle out or could just say, hey, it's, it's different, you know. Mm-hmm. And technically, yeah, it is different, but it's confusing. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about Jimmy your your letterpresses and this is mm. your designs because this breaks all the rules because you're mm. you you are using different size fonts and sometimes you're using different fonts but the reason I think it works is there's a familiarity it's there's a familiarity with it like you see that and you're like that looks 1800s that has a a, yeah. a certain look to it so you're using the I'm right font you have I'm the right graphics that, in yeah. there there's a rule line at, at, around everything and it's like the perfect way to break all those rules because it it feels familiar yeah i mean the the biggest thing the one thing i love most often about uh about fonts in that in the in the concept of antique printing presses are the big giant letters 
And when people constantly say to me, hey, this whole font shop's going out of business, do you want? I'm like, are there any big letters over two inches? Any, any letters from like one to four inches? They're like, oh, those already been sold. I'm like, and then I don't want any of the mm-hmm. other stuff. Those are the things that go the most, the fastest. And if I did find any big chunky t- font, and I'm putting it out there, if anybody has big chunky font, you want to send it my way, send it my way. Those fonts were so incredibly beautiful and they're all handmade most of the time, you know, turn of the century. I would get them and then I would make my own version of them for Illustrator or, you know what I mean? I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't really like setting type, I, even though I'm, a, I'm an antique print guy. I set my type in Illustrator and then I have a plate made. I don't like setting up fonts in a chase and nailing them together, which is the way that it was done before computers existed. And I, I personally don't like that because it's too limiting. I really want the freedom to be able to put a rule here and, a, you know, a, a flirtily there or a space there or, you know, uh, whatever. I don't like being constricted, restricted to just fonts in the box. So that drives me crazy. I, hmm. That being said, when I set up my font museum, my, my type museum, I will have all that for the people that do want to play with that and do want to nail a chase together and put a you know, available set of type inside there. But I personally like those old posters. You see like those old posters from like Ford Theater and all this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I, li- I like that idea of having that all set up. You just reminded me when I was a little kid, my parents went to the Poconos in, in the 70s. And when they came back from the, they went on some like retreat. And when they came back, they had these letter stamp posters. And I could still find that. I got it next time I'm at my mother's house, I'll find it. I know it's in my bedroom. They had these posters made for each one of the kids, and they and my dad. It's supposed to look like an old Western poster on like a, uh, you know, like an antique paper, and it says Jimmy DeResta, the Creation Kid, and it's like he'll make anything. Da 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 da. Like so when I was a kid, <laughs> my awesome. dad called me the Creation Kid, so it said Wanted the Creation Kid, and it was supposed to be like an old Jesse James Wanted poster, and uh, they and I'm thinking now for the first time in a long time. I think that they must have set that font because this was in the 70s. There wasn't a computer to like whip up and print it out. Whoever set that up, you must have ordered the poster and maybe they changed out one or two simple things, but the rest of it might have always been there. You know, my name and like my my name and my my uh, my gangster name and the rest (laughs) might have just been like standard always set up in the chase. So I got to go look at that now that I know. Hmm. And they, they printed off a couple posters of each one of those for me and my brothers and my sister. Funny stuff. That's awesome. Is it, Bob? You said you you may not have much to add to the conversation, but all of your stuff looks amazing. It seems well spaced. There's 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 good design. You want um, that's a hundred percent for me. Okay, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Uh, I, I mean, when I was first getting started with all this, I <clears throat> you know, forby has been a good friend of mine for yeah, I don't even know how long, a very very long time, and. Uh, when he got out of school, I immediately tried to hire him with the company that we were running at the time because I could. I just knew that he was really good at it. He designed when we were in a band together. He designed the 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 type for our albums, you know, for like all of the jackets for our records and stuff. And he's just really good at it. So when I first started this stuff, I went to him and said, like, I need a logo, I need type, I need design, and he's done all of that since the very beginning. Um, and now. I'm lucky enough to have him work with us full time. So every time we need something visual, it's like, Forby, what do you what do you think? Because he always does it right and he always does it well. And so we don't even have to like I don't have to muddle through it and do like a 
mediocre or less than mediocre job. It's just, I know that he can do it the right way. And so I ask him for something he gives it back and it looks great. And I'm like, all right, great. You know, let's move ahead. So I take zero credit. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's one really important thing actually to think about is, and I've talked about this before that like, if you're going to make a logo, we talked about this with the branding stuff, but even if you're just going to make type, if you're making an ad or a business card or something like that, if you don't have the skill set to do it, you're not going to do it as well as somebody that does have the skill set to do it. And if if you only do it yourself out of pride, you're not really doing yourself any favors. Like paying someone skilled in any trade to do what they're good at, to make the, the output as good as possible is totally worthwhile. Not only does it help somebody do their trade that they're trained in, but it also gives you the best possible product, the best possible output. Now, the two of you guys are both really good naturally with that stuff. I think I could get through it, but I'm definitely not as good as Forby and some other people I know who do design. So in my case, it makes so much more sense just to rely on the people that I know are going to do it the correct way. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's and funny. Just, just make sure it's done right. I I do the same exact thing. I, I fumble through it, but some of my more beautiful posters, in my opinion, are the one that, that Brett did, because Brett's a very good graphic designer. Brett did one, uh, I'd rather have it, not need it, than need it, not have it. Brett totally designed that. It's like, go for it. I just want to mm. see your point of view. And then uh, my razor blade poster was designed by Doug Yeager, who's a friend of mine. I gave him a little bit of art direction, just basically saying I wanted to look old timey. And uh, we went back and forth a couple of times, but but Doug really nailed it. Doug of Doug Yeager Design. Doug's got a great Instagram channel and he's growing quickly and I keep pushing him. He's an incredibly beautiful designer. If you look at his Instagram, his house that him and his wife live in with with their young boy, they've designed it and built it completely by themselves. He has impeccable taste and uh, he makes my life harder because every single time Taylor sees his Instagram, she's like, how come we can't have this? How come we can't have a, a beautiful black European looking house? How come we can't have a beautiful pure white rug? How come we can't? All these things are like oh, my nightmare. My dream, but my nightmare. If I had a white carpet in my house, forget about it. It would I would immediately spill coffee on it the second I was done installing it. <laughs> forget about it. Forget about I'd it. A, I'd like look back with a coffee and go, look at how beautiful it is. And then like I'd hiccup and it would just spill right on the road. <laughs> <laughs> Doug Yeager design. Hmm. Awesome. Well, you guys have any other thoughts on design and typography stuff? One last thing is, uh, Bob, I thank you for the compliment. Although I don't consider myself a, a, a really good graphic designer. I, I know enough to, I know what I don't like. And so I know enough to keep things simple. And um, I just kind of stay within my, um, w- with with what I know. I be, And I, I say that because I have friends who are amazing graphic designers and they come up with ideas really quick and just have, fantastic layout skills and i i know just enough to make it look decent so but thank you for the compliment sure i i I guess i also want to throw out there that like uh, the three of us went to school for some sort of a design or some sort you know went to an art type school and i don't think that's an absolute must so don't hear me say that like if you can't design something or if you don't have the experience that you have to rely on somebody else or you have to rely on schooling I don't mean that at all but that's a good place to start if you don't have that or you don't have somebody that you can rely on for it one good thing to do and I don't think I have a good example of it here is to start collecting books that 
visually are just a catalog of things that you would not run into otherwise. Mm-hmm. If you go to Barnes & Noble or a store like that, go up to the front and look for the uh, the like the the budget bin, you know, like the mm. the discounted rack. Yes. Because when you go to those racks, you find these collection books and there's a company called Toshin, I think is how you say it. T A S C H E N. They have tons of books. I have a ton that of are their collections books. of yeah. objects. Yeah, they're great. They have these books are collections of objects. So I've got one that's all metal robots from the like, you know, last century, or yeah, last century. Um, but there's collections of all sorts of different things, and I've seen some of um, like diners. I've seen some of signs. I've seen guitars there's all sorts of different things but if you pick up like the sign book it's probably five or ten bucks and it's just 200 pages of signs the cool thing about that is you can flip through that and you can start to look at those signs that are iconic enough to be in a photograph and you can start to understand you can look at them why do i like that thing what's what's the same between this one and this one like why do i like these two together and so even just having a a inexpensive collection of typography through signs or through you know, car emblems or whatever, you can start to identify the things that you like about type and then try to replicate those in your own work as you're, you know, trying to figure out a logo or trying to figure out type. This is the book, Jimmy, that you might enjoy. It's called Junk Type. Oh, I love it. Do you have this book? No, no, no. I just okay. love the cover. <laughs> so, um, hmm. uh, maybe this would be one of my picks, but all of it is pictures of old logos oh. on, on things. It's just it. like, actual pictures of like uh, motorcycle logos or, or things stamped onto machines. Right now. I'm writing that down. <laughs> yeah, it's a great it. source of inspiration. It's called Junk Type. We went to, when we were in England last year for Maker Central, Jenny and I walked, there was a, a international, or not international, there's a, a British motorcycle museum within walking distance of the oh, hotel. Yeah. Where Did you go to that? No, we kept talking about it, but we never made it across oh, the land. It was so cool. And the thing I loved the most about it was the logos on the bikes because it was all British brands for the for the bikes. So, that, you know, that limits it to just the British brands. But even, like, take somebody like Norton, their logo changed year to year to year. I mean, throughout the entire history of the company until probably the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, it started to stabilize because it's now this vintage-looking logo. But as you walk through the building, the motorcycles were lined up room by room in in age. So you mm. start the you go first go in and they're just super old wooden motorcycles and stuff. And then as you walk through the building, they get newer and newer and newer. And so as you would see these logos, you could watch the progression of logos from oh, room to yeah. room. It was oh, so cool. cool, and I got tons of pictures. And I. I went in to see the motorcycles and ended up taking more pictures of the logos because <laughs> they're just like so cool. It's just like, it, it was pretty awesome. If you ever get a chance, you should definitely go check that place out. Pretty cool. All right. Anything else on this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would just say, uh, just don't be lazy. Do a little bit of research for a logo. Don't hand draw anything unless you're really confident and you have a little bit of training. You know, there's uh, there's certain rules that you can't break, like, you know, the width of a vertical versus the width of a horizontal, you know, I see people put serifs where they don't belong, you know, at both ends of the pointy slant of an N on both sides of an N, like a, I don't know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rules people break because just because they don't pay enough attention to what they're supposed to do. 
So mm. don't put serif um, so they don't belong. And don't hand draw serif type if you don't know what you're doing. You said, yeah, hand drawing serif type is tough. I did want to say, you, you talk about don't hand draw unless you know what you're doing. Laura Kampf is fantastic. She has built an entire style Absolutely. Of the way that her type, her yeah, she's a great example of yes. writing something by hand. You have to it earn has it. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. it, you have to earn it. You can't just do it because you're lazy. You have to earn it. You have right. to have a very, you have to have a, a, a very specific point of view. And Laura is a great example, and, and so is uh, James Victoria. So she's she's built a fantastic, really consistent aesthetic through the way that she writes things. And she now that's kind of part of her video production is she writes you know, things instead of saying them to camera and it, it works super well. Okay. Okay. Um, I want to, I want to thank our Patreon supporters because they're awesome and they help us out. And, uh, there's a whole bunch of people over there that help us out and at all different levels, but our top supporters are Corey Ward works by solo Chad from Mancrafting, maker and training fun kiss, artistic creations, Blondie hacks. You can make this too. Odin leather goods, Albers woodworks and rich Lowen. And a lot of people ask why we have a limit on the number of people that can be in the top tier on Patreon. It's because I have to read that list every time, and I don't want you to have to sit through a list <laughs> a lot longer than that. But we are really grateful for those people and for everybody else uh, that helps us out. And everybody over there at every level gets the after show, which is just an, a separate feed of us talking about secret stuff or upcoming stuff or stuff. Some just stuff. There. Mm. I don't know if you guys have any th- secret stuff to talk about today. Mm-hmm. We shall see. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Recommendations. David. Um, real quick, I just want to apologize if I sounded real snobby about graphic design and type. So I <laughs> so I can be a little bit snobby about that. So I, I apologize. But my pick is it's a it's a pretty big channel, but I kind of recently started watching it. And everybody's heard of Good Mythical Morning, but there's an offshoot called Mythical Kitchen where they have a cook on on their show and has his own um, channel now. And it's called Mythical Kitchen. It is so good. I watch a lot of cooking Mm -hmm. videos on YouTube, and this is now one of my top two or three. It is so Hmm. hilarious. It's so well done. And I'm so entertained. Have you cool. guys seen this? Cool. Are you familiar with, with Josh from Good Mythical Morning? No, no I'm going to look now for sure. He, oh, man. He, yeah. he does an excellent job of just experimental cooking and just hilarious. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Uh, I'm going to talk about a couple of people. I talked about Doug Yeager, so go follow Doug Yeager, uh, Yeager Designs on Instagram. I'll, I'll send you guys a link. And... Uh, Chris Riley, Route Nine Signs. We met him last year at Maker Fair. We, oh yeah, we've stayed in touch ever since. He's a great guy, and his work is just amazing. He makes little renditions of big, beautiful vintage signs all around LA and uh, some other video, uh, other signs some around the, the the country. He's he talk about type and font and translating images that you have no reference other than a photograph into vectors. He figures all that out combination of 3d printing laser cutting just straight up handiwork so check out uh, route nine signs on instagram <clears throat> and uh also for youtube I, i've been watching a lot of andrew schultz i was introduced to him through ben and mike montgomery they did some work in his studio in new york andrew schultz is a self-published comedian who's really getting some steam great gaining some steam 
And it's just another great example of someone who's successful, has a point of view, and is outside the system, has nothing to do with any studio that he doesn't own, has nothing to do with the television network that he's not involved in. He's completely self-published, and he's really a good example to anybody that wants to do their own thing, the way we've done, but he's he's also doing it in a different arena, the, the arena of comedy and commentary, comedic commentary. So check out Andrew Schultz. He's, he's gaining some steam, you know, with the political climate that's going on and kind of in like in the vein of like John Oliver and that kind of stuff. Cool. Um, mine is going to be actually a channel that I've not watched any videos from yet. So I guess that's a disclaimer. <laughs> but, um, I got a really nice package in the mail the other day from a guy um, a couple weeks ago, I made the the boxes for the little Star Wars miniature game, the game that I was playing that has these little miniature ships. And <clears throat> there's a whole, whole huge group of people who paint miniatures for these games, not this particular game, but people who enjoy really small detail painting of these little tiny miniature figures and ships and stuff like that. Anyway, this guy named Scott sent me a ship for that game that he had painted on his YouTube channel. And so I have not watched his channel yet because I just found out that he had it. Um, but he's got 200,000 subscribers, so he must be doing something right. Um, but he, he it's called Miniac, and he paints these miniatures. And just from the thumbnails, they look pretty incredible. But the one he sent me was also really incredible. So big thanks to him for sending it, but also just want to give him a little shout out that in, in case that's something that people are interested in. I'm going to go check him out. Again, I've not seen his videos, so, you know, I, I, I can't say anything about the quality of them or anything, but the painting and the thing that he sent me was super well done and super cool. So, go check him out. Right on. All right. You guys got anything else? Nah. Right. I guess not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I guess that's it for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you next time. Oh, sorry. Oh. I had a big yawn. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Love you. That was great. <laughs>